Jason asked for me to give me my story. <clears throat> Can you guys hear me okay? I'm not going to sing, so you're okay. <laughs> my story, you know, I, I hear dramatic stories, uh, spectacular stories how people were saved. That, that wasn't my path. Uh, I hear those stories, and I'm... Uh, really enjoy that. You know, I hear the stories of people that they were, went down a long path and maybe a sinful path and God saved them or they're to, uh, the step doors of death and God saves them. And but I tell you what, taking something that is dead, spiritually making alive, let me tell you what is dramatic to me, dramatic for me. And so my story is this. I grew up in the church. You know, I grew up in Elgin Church. I went to the Lutheran Church, Grace Lutheran Church, Wonderful church. I love the church. I, we'd go every Sunday, Sunday church, Sunday school. We'd go to VBS. We had those and church camps and things of that nature. And and I was I really loved the church. I was an acolyte. I was like the, the chief acolyte. I got to light the candles at the service. And I got to wear a robe. And the pastor would sit, it was on this side, sit in his big throne of a chair. And I would sit in the wee chair. So I was I was really enjoying that. Went through confirmation, which in the Lutheran church occurs uh, when you're around 12. Went for two years. And you'd go after school for two hours uh, a week. And you'd go study the Bible. You'd study the Bible. You'd read the entire Bible over a two-year period. Study the Bible. You'd study catechism. You'd study doctrine. You'd study about the church structure, elders, pastors, deacons, these kind of things. You'd study uh, hymns. Uh, and then at the end, in two years, you, you would uh, get new clothes, which I was, we didn't have a lot of new clothes, but I got new clothes. And you'd, and my, you'd walk up to the front of the church, the elders would be seated in front of you, and you'd have to come in front of the elders and you'd have to give your testament. And you'd have to answer basically questions about the Bible, questions about the church, in order to confirm that you then didn't know Jesus. And I knew Jesus. I knew Jesus real well in the flesh, in my head. But I didn't know at that point that I did, had not a relationship with him. I, w- I was dead and didn't even know it. And that's such a precarious situation to think that you are in the graces of God to only realize that you're not. And I didn't know that at the point, at the time. Anyway, time goes on. That summer, uh, and it's in the mid-70s, local uh, real estate agent, uh, Dave Phillips, uh, asked my dad if he would take me to Highland Lakes Baptist Encampment. You know, and I was a, you know, diehard Lutheran, of course, but I wanted to go. My dad surprisingly let me go, which I didn't think he would, but he did. So uh, I went to this church uh, camp and um, had a great time. It was wonderful. And uh, I remember uh, one night we had a campfire, and, and this guy was there, kind of a long hair. I'd, I'd kind of probably call him a hippie boy, long hair <laughs> in the 70s. And, he, and, he, and I could relate to him because he said, uh, you know, I can, when I was saved, this guy was telling me the story. When I was saved... I was singing uh, Highway to Hell, you know, Highway to Hell. Then after I was saved, I was singing Stairway to Heaven. And that really, I really felt that because, you know, we we weren't really allowed to listen to rock music, but I kind of liked rock music anyway. So anyway, uh, that later that next day, the pastor was, 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 I was calling my pastor. He wasn't wearing the robe. He was wearing overalls with the Flintstone cut off zigzag shorts, which I thought were kind of cool looking. But he was talking. And um, uh, preaching to us, and uh, the Holy Spirit just imploded on me. It became real evident that that although I was a good kid, although I knew the Bible, although I knew to what a thirteen-year-old can know, I was completely lost. I had religion, but I didn't have a relationship, and it and it crushed me. And I knew at that point that I needed to be saved, or I was going to be eternally separated from God. 
And, and I was saved, I believe, at that very moment. However, I didn't profess it till a few minutes later when he said, come down to the front. No, we didn't do that in Lutheran church. You didn't walk down to the front. You know, you, you stayed in your chair, right? So I got up. The angels were carrying me, I guess, and I was just rubber on the legs. And I got up there, and there was that hippie boy at the end, and he met me. And, I, and, he, and this guy uh, led me to Christ, or the Holy Spirit, I already believe at that point, saved. But I, all I could say is, God saved me. And at that point, he saved me. I mean, I was saved already, but I, it reaffirmed to my heart. But my fear was, I can't do this because my family is going to disown me. My church is going to disown me. I'm going to be embarrassed, and, and, and there's going to be retribution as a result of this because I'm changing from what I thought at the time was my faith, but actually I was embracing my faith. It was at that time that I was saved. You know, gracious, uh, just blessed as a result of that. The next day I went there alone. Everybody was gone and, and sat there at that uh, pavilion and just prayed on my knees for about 30 minutes, just thanking God, Lord, what he's done for my heart. But, guys, that's my story. It's not spectacular, but it is to me, and that's my song. All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, I'm in John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 3, as we continue this new series uh, entitled, This is My Story. And we're walking through the Gospel of John. And specifically, as we walk through the Gospel of John, now it's full of lots of great stuff. Uh, there's, there's miracles, there's teachings of Jesus, but, but John specifically is the only gospel that has these extended interactions with people. And so we are focusing our study on these interactions with people. When Jesus comes into contact with a person and what happens in that person's life because of that, and we're going to study their stories in hopes that we might better understand our own. Now to this point, um, we've kind of identified the whole purpose of the book of John is, is found in, in basically the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 31. And it says this, um, it says this, it's like magic. She disappeared on me. Uh, it says this, but these are written so that you may believe um, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so each story that we find assembled in the Gospel of John is there for this purpose that we might see that Jesus is the Son of God. To this point, we've, we've come into contact with two individuals. We've heard their stories and how they pointed to Christ. Um, we've come into contact with both John the Baptist and a disciple named Nathaniel. This morning, um, we're going to come into contact with a man that really represents all of mankind, a guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the cover of night. So join me in a word of prayer if you don't mind. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, and God, thank you for testimonies. Thank you for people that are willing to go and be the witnesses that you've called them to be. That's what you said. You said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witness here in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I thank you for Brother Jeff and his witness to us here in our Jerusalem of Elgin, Texas, and how you have used him. And Father, we pray now as we open your word that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the things of God. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you now to come and take your place as our teacher and our guide, and we pray that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ, that we might see a clear picture of who he really is, and that seeing that picture, we might understand who we really are and how much we really need him. And Jesus, we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So guys, I'm in John chapter 3, then we're going to turn over and we're going to uh, go to John chapter 7, and then we're going to turn some more and we're going to go to John chapter 19, and the goal is just to, to hear the entire story of this man named Nicodemus. So I'm in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
and the word of the Lord says. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus goes on, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world And the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Now, I'm in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Again, the word of God says, John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? And the servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. 
Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, John 19. John chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 38. We'll just read from 38 to 42 of John chapter 19. The remainder of Nicodemus' story. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple. Now, after this, Jesus has just died on the cross. That's, that's what we're after. He's just died on the cross. Roman soldiers broke the legs of the man on his left and his right. They did not break his legs, for he had already died. So they pierced him with a spear. Blood and water had flowed out. His circulatory system had shut down. He was completely dead. So this is what it says. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night. John's really good about reminding us this is the same Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and they wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby. All right. Can we get some light, sissy? I noticed some people are straining trying to read their Bible. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Guys, that is the story of Nicodemus. In its entirety, right? He is a, a religious ruler, a Pharisee that comes to Jesus under the cover of night, asking, really, I know that you're the teacher, but are you, are you the one? He is not just a Pharisee, but he is a ruler. He's part of the Sanhedrin. And and as such, when his fellow rulers are trying to condemn Jesus, he speaks up and says, wait a second, does our law allow us to condemn somebody who we haven't even talked to? Finally, he is a man that comes to uh, the, the tomb of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and he brings 75 to 100 pounds of burial spices. Enough for a king, just so you know. 75 to 100 pounds of burial spices would have been enough for a hundred common funerals. But he brings 75 pounds. Other texts would say 100 pounds of spices to prepare Jesus' body. This is the story of Nicodemus. What do we learn from his story? I think there's a lot of things, but I want to focus in on just two, okay? Here's the first thing. I think the story of Nicodemus... uh, teaches us that our religious knowledge is not enough for us to enter the kingdom of God, right? Our our religious knowledge is not enough for us to enter the kingdom of God. I love just testimony, which by the way, he emailed me some of it, but, 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 but you know, different here this morning, but but he said, I knew Jesus up here, had a, had a head knowledge, had a religious knowledge of Jesus, but I I didn't know him in here. And I just want you to understand that that's, that's the case. It's not enough to know Jesus in our minds. Our religious knowledge, no matter how much, is not enough. Now, when we read verse one, we find out that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. 
right? And a member of the Sanhedrin. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I have a tendency to immediately kind of discount him, right? Kind of write him off because I know that Jesus reserved his harshest words for people like this, right? I mean, I mean, he very much is one of these people, right? I mean, he is a, a religious ruler. He is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. So, so he very much is all of those things that we read about through the scriptures. But, but he's more than that. I want to show you. So go back in the text. Look at chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 23. Chapter 2, starting in verse 23, it says, While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So Jesus was performing signs, all right? That's going to be important because of what Nicodemus is going to say to him. When he comes to him, he says, I, we, 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 I've seen these signs that you're doing. Nobody could do this if they weren't from God. So, so Jesus is performing these signs. And the only one that John has recorded is, is the turning water into wine at Cana. But he said already in his gospel, like, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, I wouldn't have enough books on earth to do it. I write these things so that you might believe. So some of these signs he doesn't include, right? So so, so, so Jesus is performing these signs. It says, uh, listen, and many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Verse 24, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now, your Bible may have a big number three after that with a space, like somehow this is a different text. But that is not how the original text would have read. There is no spacing. We're not supposed to think about something else. We're not supposed to turn the page and start a new chapter. So again, read the last uh, sentence here, and it rolls right into the next sentence, okay? And so it says, uh, again... Because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He didn't entrust himself to man because he knew what, what, what was in man. And then it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Here's what I'm going to say to you. What the text is implying is not only was he a Pharisee, not only was he a Sadducee, he was also a human. He was a human being. Therefore, Nicodemus really represents all of us. That's why a story is important. That's why a story is important. And, and listen, I, I, I just want you to, 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 to get it, right? This, this highly trained man, this educated man, this religious man, this man who we talked about last week, this white, white, white robe, not just white collar man, from, from, from holy places man, comes to Jesus, the blue collared carpenter. And look at what he says in verse 2. Okay? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs that you do unless God was with him. It's a big statement. This shows humility on the part of Nicodemus. Humility that I, I would say the other religious rulers don't necessarily have, right? He, he's saying, like, 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 Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, I, I know that you are, you, you're doing these things that you're doing. I know that you must be from God. Because there's nobody, no way that the, the, the things that you're doing could happen unless you're from God. So he's, he's literally saying, I know that you, at the very least, 
are a teacher from God, at the very least. But what he's asking, don't miss it, what he's asking, what he's implying is, are you more than that? That's the question. That that may not be the question that John records. That's the question that Nicodemus is asking. He says, I know at the very least that you are a teacher that is from God, but I'm asking, are you more than that? To which Jesus responds in verse 3, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then when Nicodemus misunderstands that statement, wait a second, how is that possible? Then Jesus reemphasizes in verse 5, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then immediately following those two statements, this discourse uh, occurs. Chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is of the flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replies, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of God. So Nicodemus comes kind of um, with this personal curiosity that he's cloaking in uh, under the, the thought of we. We know that you must be. We, Nicodemus is saying, I know that you must be from God. How else could you do these things? But he's going to cloak, this isn't about me, uh, Jesus. This is we. We, we, we see these signs. I, I'm, I'm just a representative. So Jesus says, you want to talk in the we? You call yourself a teacher, yet you don't understand who we are. Now, some commentators think that that we refers to the disciples, right? Jesus is saying, like, like, listen, you think you know it all, but you don't know what we know. Now, I want to tell you why I reject that, because the disciples don't know hardly anything at this point, right? And, and now, now we have one that's declared you are the Son of God. Nathaniel said that. Um, we have Peter later that will confess him as Christ. But, but even Peter doesn't actually know what that means till after the resurrection, See, what Jesus is saying is, you claim to be the teacher of the people of God, yet you don't know us. You don't know God. You don't know the Son. You don't know the Father. You don't know how the Spirit works. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. This is a big deal. Because what Jesus means when he says that is, is Nicodemus, all of your upbringing, all of your wealth, all of your training, all, all the, 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 the moments and the minutes and the hours you've, you've spent thinking about God. You've, you've spent your life studying the scriptures, right? How many in this room could claim that, by the way? You, you got you, you, you know, a lot of us, we want to look down on Nicodemus. Oh, this, this dude spent his life studying the scriptures, night and day. Anybody in this room can claim that, right? So, so don't look down on my friends yet, okay? I just want to tell you there's, there's something to this, right? But, but listen to what Jesus says to this guy. He's like, Nicodemus, all of your hard work, all of your study, all of your knowledge, he's going, you don't know anything. It's not enough. It's not enough. You've looked at my miracles. You've studied the scriptures, but you've done all of that through physical eyes. You need spiritual eyes. You need to be born again. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born of the spirit of God. Now listen, I don't know your background. I don't know where you came from. Jeff testified he was, uh, he was raised in a Lutheran church. I talked before church. Randy was telling me he was raised Catholic. Uh, I know my friend Jerry was raised Catholic, right? We all come from these different backgrounds. I wasn't raised in church. Some of you were raised as a Methodist. I I don't care what your background is, but here's what I'm going to say to you. No matter how uh, many years you spent in that background studying the scriptures, no matter how many hymns you have sung, no matter how many perfect attendance records at church you hold, Right? No matter how many Bible stories you have memorized, what the text would declare is it is not enough. Like That is not enough to get you into the kingdom of God. You could memorize the entire Bible from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. And what Jesus declares openly to this religious ruler is that doesn't get you in. It's a big deal. Second lesson we learn. Not only is our knowledge not enough, get this, our moral goodness is not enough for us to enter the kingdom of God. Our moral goodness is not enough. Now listen, Nicodemus, by all accounts, is the kind of guy that you want your daughter to bring home. Right? I mean, except at this point, he's a little older. But you get what I'm saying, right? This, this guy is, I mean, I mean morally, he is, he is killing it. From, from a human perspective, think about this. He spent his entire life trying to learn the laws of God. Whole life, he studied the Bible. Amen? Yeah, yep, check one. Yep, you got it. Way to go, girl. I like this guy. Okay, let's go a step further. As a Pharisee, not only did he study the law of God, but he spent his life literally putting the law of God into practice. I mean, literally doing what the, nope, the text said this, I'm going to do this. It said to, to write it and put it around my forehead. I'm tying this box around my forehead. I'm tying this box. Like, he literally, everything, he took everything in the Bible literally. Okay, hear me. That means that morally, dare I say it, this dude is better than everybody in this room. Right? That's, that's who we're talking about. I mean, morally, this guy is head and should not just better. He is in a different class than we are, friends. Okay? I, I'm just being honest with you, right? And, and, and next week, we're going to put his life up against the life of a woman that's pretty much the opposite. I think John puts these two stories back to back on purpose. And only when you see them together can you see all of the beauty. But we, we've got to focus on this one. Then we'll focus on that one. Then we'll talk about how they, how they work together. But, but, but for now, I just want to say this. What Jesus says to Nicodemus here is basically, yeah, Nick, dude, you may be good, right? And I know you kind of feel like you're killing it. But brother, you're not good enough. See, see Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he basically says, Jesus, I just need a little bit of help. I just need to know if you're the Messiah. And then if you're the Messiah, then, 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 then I know the kingdom's going to come and I'll be a part of the kingdom. And Jesus is going, that's not how the kingdom of God works, Nick. Right? You don't need a little help, Nick. That's not what you need. See, see Nicodemus had this thought that, that somehow he was just struggling with the wind and the waves of life. And if, if Jesus would just throw out the preserver that he's the Messiah, then everything would be okay. Then, then he could be okay with the struggle and with the turmoil in life, right? But, but that's not how the kingdom works. And, 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 and Jesus basically said, like, Adam was born of the dust. You must be born of the spirit. Okay? This is the tough news because this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus and, and what he says to each of us. Ready? <laughs> you are dead. 
And dead people don't need a little help. Follow me? You were dead, and dead people don't need a little bit of help, right? I want you to imagine uh, with me for a second. I'm going to watch our time so we get on time. I want you to imagine for a second you go out to lunch after uh, service at some point. And uh, God forbid this happens, Lord, please. Um, Just an illustration that, that you're out at a nice restaurant, and suddenly the guy next to you at the table collapses, head on the plate, right? I mean, and he just had a massive coronary. He's gone. They check the pulse. There's no pulse. The guy's not breathing. People are freaking out, calling 911, all those kind of things. I want you to imagine in the middle of that that the waiter comes to the table. I want you to imagine how foolish it would be for the waiter to come to the table in the middle of that and say, sir, could I get you some water? Right? Man, man's collapsed. His face is in his plate. And, and he comes to him and says, sir, could I get you a doggy bag to take that home? People are checking his pulse. They're calling 911. Would you like a doggy bag? Right. Sir, do you need me to pull your chair back a little bit so your head's not in your food? I mean, there, there's no pulse. He is heard, right? I mean, just imagine the foolery of that. Yet, friends, that's who we are, right? I mean, that's what we think. We, think, we, we, we come going, oh, well, geez, I just need a little bit of help, right? And he's like, you don't need help. You're, you're dead. What I'm, what I'm saying to you is, guys, listen, in the sea of life, um, we are not stuck in the middle of the storm battling. That's not who we are in the picture, right? We, we have this tendency, well, I'm just in the sea of life. I'm battling, but Jesus, I'm still rowing. The storm is beating against me. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get to the other side. In the sea of life, we are not battling the storm. In the sea of life, we are the ship that is sunken on the bottom of the ocean floor. That's what the gospel declares. That's who we are. Our problem is not that we need a little wind. Our problem is not that our sail's not full. Our problem is that our oars aren't long enough. Our problem is that we are sunken in the bottom of the ocean floor, and what we need is resurrection. That's our problem. And that's what he's saying to to, to Nicodemus. He said, dude, listen, I know that you think that, that all you need is a little bit of help here, Nicodemus, but brother, you are on the bottom of the ocean floor. What you need is someone to resurrect you. You have to be born again. So that, that just leaves us with one question. How does that happen? How do, how do, how do we do that? Like, how do, we, how do we get that? If we're this person, this person represents all of us, that we try to deal with things. And by the way, we try to deal with things in two ways. This guy tries to deal with it through religion. The lady we'll study next week tries to deal with it by becoming her, her own authority. Um, we deal with life uh, both of those ways, but both of those people need the same solution. So, so how, how do we experience this new birth? How, how does that happen? And, and so the text tells us, um, turn back with me to John chapter 1 for a second, just, just for a second. John gives us our first clue very early on in his gospel. John chapter 1, starting in verse 10, it says, He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, But get this, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And, and so here's what I'm going to say. This is, this is complicated for some people. For some people, it doesn't make sense. But, but, but literally, say, what do I have to do to be born again? Well, the only thing that you can do is believe. Oh, it's the only thing you can do is believe. But before you can believe, God has to do a work in you. 
Okay, listen to what, what John chapter one says. And people have issues with this all, all throughout church history. I'm just gonna say, both of these things occur, right? So God, God has to, Jesus says at one point, no one can come to me unless the Father calls them, okay? So, so God has to begin a work. And, and God has to begin working in your heart. He has to begin pulling you and calling you to this point of, of truth. For Nicodemus, it was these miracles. And, 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 and something stirred in his heart. Something stirred in his heart. Maybe you're here this morning because something stirred in your heart. Somebody invited you to church or you just had this feeling like, I need to get up. I need to come. I don't know what's going on, but, but, but something has stirred. And I, I believe that's the stirring of God, right? And, and so this is what it says. It says this, this belief can't be something that you just wake up and decide you're going to do. That life was difficult and you realize that, you, you know, you feel like you're on the water and you're battling. You just, I need a little help. And so I'm going to believe in Jesus, like, that's, that's, not, that's not how it is. It says that it, this thing isn't birth of the will of man. Did you notice that? It's not birth of the will of man. It says, it says listen, listen. I, I just, listen. We who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And so, so what I'm saying to you is God has to bring you to the point that you realize that you're not stuck in the storm of life, that you're not battling through the storm, but you're the sunken ship. And when you come to that realization, then it's like God says, okay, now I'm going to place this ball in your court. How does that ball get in our court? Well, chapter 3, 16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, because God did not come into the world to condemn it. But I'll tell you, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. Because I've sent my one and only son, the only answer to your sin problem, because you don't need help. You need resurrection. You need Jesus. All right? Now, what do we do with that? Can we get to that point we start to understand these things? I think um, the story of Nicodemus for me, for me, may not be for you, for me calls me to some things. So here's the things that I'm going to try to practice this week. Number one, okay? I want to work on trying to lay down my religion, okay? I'm not here to offend you. I hate the word religion. Um, if you use it around me and you see my face change or kind of sour, it's not like personal. I love you. I just, I, that word just gives me almost chills up and down. Um, horrid acts have been performed throughout history in the name of religion. We've killed people, we've enslaved people, um, we've, we've segregated people, all in the name of religion. I've never seen anybody pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ do any of that. Okay? So I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've got a, I hope you guys listen to worship music. I would encourage you to, to incorporate it into your life. Um, I'm listening to a song that we'll probably never ever be able to sing here. It's not very congregational, and it's a little folky and weird, uh, but it's called The Simple Gospel. The Simple Gospel. This is The Simple Gospel. And, and, and one, of the, one of the lines goes, I'm, I'm laying down all my religion. I'm laying down all my religion. I just want to know you, Lord. So I'm laying down all my religion. I just want to know you, Lord. Uh, listen. Your religion cannot save you. Your, your, your theology cannot save you. So, but I've read every book. I, I know how this works and the inner workings of that. I, I, I've studied the book of Revelation for 22 years. I'm a premillennial dispensationalist, right? 
<laughs> pre-trib or post-trib? Oh, pre-trib. God wouldn't put us through all that. Whatever. Whatever you think you know, it's not enough. I, I, now, the scripture says, now we know but in part, as if we were looking in a mirror. Have you tried men? Okay, this is a men thing. Ladies, I, I'm sorry, I can't. Men, you know when you don't want to go get the haircut yet, but you've got some hair popping up on the back of your neck. Men, you with me? Anybody else? Have you ever tried to shave that hair so that you didn't have to? Mark's done it. Come on, anybody? Jeff's done it. Any other? Okay, every man has tried this, right? And you remember how hard that re- It's a simple task. Right? So I, I'm going to tell you, by the way, I just don't even use the mirror anymore. I just put my hand there and I just do that. Because if you look in the mirror, everything's backwards and you can't get your hand angle right. That's who we are. What you think you know about God, you have seen, but in a mirror. Right? And Jesus says to Nicodemus, the man who knows more than any of us. Right? He knows the law of God in and out. And, and this man that knows the law of God in and out, that puts it literally into practice, Jesus says to him, dude, listen, man. That's not going to get you in. That's not enough. Listen, I, I don't know what background you came from, but I'm just here to tell you, unless you have a personal relationship with Christ, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There is only one son of God that was given for the sin of mankind. His name is Jesus. All right? Second thing I'll challenge you with this week. Again, I'm challenging myself. If you want to come along with a challenge, I really want to challenge you to lay down your moral resume. Lay down your religion, lay down your resume, okay? Uh, I I love you, and um, God bless you. Uh, I'm so grateful you're in church. But man, sometimes when we walk out of this place, we act like we're holier than thou. We look our nose down on everybody that's struggling with what we deem as great sin, not realizing that pride is actually the greatest sin of the Bible. You guys following me, right? So at some point, we, we got to, like, like, listen, the people that acted that way missed the Messiah. And at some point, we, we got to stop that. Now, does that mean, does that mean that we change the scripture to do away with sin? Does that mean that we, we try to redefine what God clearly calls sin? Absolutely not, right? It doesn't mean that. It means like, like no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for that sin in me first and foremost. So I, when, when you do that, and, and by the way, and the Bible is a great, uh, it's a great resource for this because it's the only book that is alive and active. When you read it, it'll read you back. And I, I personally think if you're reading the Bible right, it's impossible not to see sin in your own life. Right. It's not. And if you're struggling to read the Bible, it's probably because you don't want that. Right? You're like, ah, I don't need to know how bad. Like, it's, it's important. And, and listen, it's, it's not God trying to crush you. It's God trying to bless you. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace continually to the humble. Right? Okay? So I'm just saying, so, so, so lay down your moral resume. Lastly, I just leave you with this, okay? Respond to God's grace by believing in Jesus. Okay? Can't start on your own. Can't just be like, oh God, life's just tough. Jesus, I'm just going to ask you on board to help me get across this lake. Doesn't work that way. You are the sunken ship at the bottom of the ocean. And you need Jesus to resurrect you. That is the truth of the gospel. And here's the beauty of it. If you're here today, that whole thing in John 1, that this has to be of the will of God, I believe if you're here today and you're hearing the words coming out of my mouth, that you're in the will of God. 
that God has actually brought you here to, to, to call you to repent from those things and to turn to his son, Jesus Christ. And you can do that uh, very simply by, the Bible says literally, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Just today, come before God and say, God, I realize that my moral goodness isn't good enough. I know that my knowledge of you won't get me into the kingdom of heaven. I am dead, and I need you to bring me to life, okay? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. God, I just pray this morning, if there's anyone here that has not come to this realization that you've done that in them this morning, that you've just brought them to life right here in our midst. And I, I pray that they would just call out to you right now, Jesus, I need you to bring me to life. I don't need to be better. I don't want a better version of myself. I need a new self. Jesus, would you come into my life right now and save me? Save me from my religiousness. Please. Save me from my, 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 my quote-unquote moral goodness, which isn't really that good. Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe God allowed that as payment for my sin. Please come into my life now. Take control of it. Let me live for you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name we pray.